people, welcome to Private Equity Laid Bear, the podcast. Um, today, again, my guest is uh, Peter Morris. Um, you're the only one to come like twice in a row, I think, Peter, but um, you, you deserve it. Um, today, we're going to talk about Dr. Martins. It was a lot in the press um, this, this week as an apparently extremely successful deal. Um, since I whine a lot about bad deals and you seem to be one to do that too. <laughs> um, like this is, this is a deal to be celebrated, isn't it? Yep, it seems to have been very successful. So it's, it's going to make a very high multiple. And unlike some of the criticisms that people make about private equity involving asset stripping or cost cutting or high leverage, this seems to involve none of that. So they bought, so Pamira bought a family-owned firm about seven years ago. It took a while to get it moving in the right direction, but now it is certainly moving in the high direction, in the right direction. It's been growing very rapidly, and it seems to be a genuine success for private equity management um, over the last seven years. Yeah, it looks like, like no trick involved except like, you know, just very good management. Um, it's not too surprising, maybe. Often these family firms are not particularly professional in the way they run businesses. Uh, and so the fact that private equity would be, you know, a professional organization used to run businesses that, you know, that they do better than the family firm is is not that surprising. It's just, I guess sometimes there are complaints about private equity being pretty ruthless and aggressive. And that's what like hurts some people. But here, you know, everybody seems to have been very happy. It reminds me a bit of actually another Permira deal that is very famous, Hugo Boss, that, you know, when Permira got Hugo Boss was not, you know, that big a deal. And then they, when they sold it, it was certainly a big deal. So it, it, it very much smells like, like this kind of deal. So, um, but, but is it like, you, do you think it's, it's Permira uh, that who's, who's the genius here or just like the management team? Uh, so if we take the track record of Hugo Boss and, 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 and then now Dr. Martins, you may say, okay, it looks like it's a Permira thing, not, not the management team. On the other hand, also some Permira deals didn't do that well. And so maybe it is this management team. The press certainly praised a lot of these managers saying, you know, they come from Le- Levis, uh, I, I think, uh, the, the trousers companies. And um, so, so sure. who do you think has contributed to this success? Well, I, my guess is there have been contributions from Pamira and from the operating managers and also from something that private equity doesn't talk about very much, which is luck. So my guess is the operating managers, which in this case, I mean the chairman and the CEO, I assume they're very skillful. They've been associated with a big success here. There's no asset stripping. There's no leverage. It just seems to have been very successful. And if all you were looking at was Dr. Martins, it would be easy to assume that skill is the whole story. Although, Peter, maybe before we go into that, it does, there, there is still some controversies around like this accounting change right before the IPO and then earnings like having a bump up as a result right before the IPO. And, 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 and by the way, there is an IPO coming up. We are not commenting on whether or not one should buy this company at an IPO. We are just discussing about whether there is some value creation, where it came from, et cetera. This is not an investment advice in any way. There is no link between the two. Um, so there was this, this discussion around earnings uh, uh, increase due to an accounting change. And, and, and then there was some controversy about an increase in price of Doc Martins. 
So on the, on the price increase, you would know better than me, Ludo. So I can't comment on the price. I, I have to send an SMS to my sister. I don't buy Doc Martens, but she does. Okay. Yeah. On on the accounting side, from what I can see, the accounting this was not something that was optional. This was a reflection of an issue that is going to become a big issue across private equity because it involves accounting for operating leases. So getting so, off balance sheet debt on balance sheet. Although. Yes, on, onto balance sheet. I'm not sure about the value at which it comes onto the balance sheet, but that's another story. Okay. But the point is, the accounting change was not something they chose to do. It was something they had to do. And, and it's a rather good change. I mean, in, in principle, again, yeah, the, yeah. The, the question is how much you value it on the balance sheet, but the fact that it's there is, 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 is a is a, so it's a step forward. Yeah, step forward. Um, so going back to this value creation, um, so this was certainly a successful deal. So maybe there was a bit of an increase in price. We don't know. I have to ask my sister. And then um, the, the accounting change was normal. So it all looks like a really big success. So Camira had successes before and maybe also some bad deals. And this management team, you say, were clearly successful here. How about their previous deals? So that's where context becomes interesting. So it turns out that if you look in, this is all publicly available information. So the chairman and the chief executive of Dr. Martins today, have worked together in the past on more than one occasion. So they worked together a very long time ago at the fashion company Levi Strauss. More recently and more relevantly, they worked together at another UK fashion icon buyout of a company called Kath Kidston. And the so press the, mentioned Levi Strauss, but, but not, not the other one you just mentioned. That's one first remark. The other thing is that uh, it's quite often, actually, that, that I've observed that, that some teams of executives are used to work together. And when they do this management buy-in, so they bring executives into a company, like, like it was the case here for Doc, Dr. Martins, Doc Martins. Um, then they, they bring a company that is, yes, an MBI. It's a company coming from uh, executives coming from the outside. But these guys are used to work together. Sure. And, so it's and not a first-time team. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so Kath Kidston is a UK fashion brand of a different sort from Doc Martens. So it's, it's um, fabrics, dresses, homewares. So it's very different from Doc Martens, but it's a fashion icon. T uh, a, a private equity firm called TA Associates bought Kath Kidston in 2010 for about hundred million pounds. And they hired Paul Mason, who's today is the chairman of Doc Martens. They hired Paul Mason as the chair at Kath Kidston. A year later, they hired Kenny Wilson, who today is the CEO of Doc Martens, who had worked with Paul Mason at Levi Strauss. So the two of them became the chairman and the CEO at Kath Kidston in 2010-2011. Um, by 2016, based on company's house filings. Kath Kidston wasn't doing too well. Um, control changed from TA Associates to another private equity firm called Bearing Private Equity Asia. And in uh, 2016, Paul Mason, the chairman, resigned. Kenny Wilson, the CEO, remained at Kath Kidston until 2018. So the chairman was at Kath Kidston from 2010 to 2016. The CEO was at Kath Kidston from 2011 to 2018. 
in uh, uh, the last accounts that Kath Kidston filed at Company's House were for March 2018, because by 2018 it was really in severe trouble. And in 2020, uh, it was put through a pre-PAC administration, so the, the buyout failed. Bearing private equity, Asia bought the company back. And according to press reports, uh, 900 employees, which is almost all of the employees, lost their jobs. So the key point about this is that <clears throat> um, if, you, if you have a visibility of the full context, what you can see is that even very skilled managers like Paul Mason and Kenny Wilson don't always succeed. So um, they can be skillful, but that doesn't mean they always succeed. And one reason why they might not always succeed involves a thing called luck. The trouble is that private equity fee structures, especially the carried interest, implicitly assume that uh, no luck is involved. Yeah, so, so there is this asymmetric fee structure, right? Which is like, if there is like 1 billion of value created, if, you know, properly measured, uh, we had this previous podcast about that, but 1 billion is, is created, then you say, you know, these guys deserve 20% of it. So it's going to be 200 million. And, you know, who are you to complain about it? They created 1 billion, they take 200 million. That's the deal that, you know, this is all cool. The problem is when they destroy one billion, nothing happens. So it's it then if you are invited to a game like this in casino, it's pretty cool. You know, you 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 play your luck, and if it works out, you keep twenty percent, and if you're you're not lucky, then it's zero. So of course, it's not a hundred percent luck, just like it cannot be a hundred percent skills. But the fact that there is some luck involved and quite a bit, then means that this asymmetric fee structure is extremely, extremely costly. In fact, if you keep on repeating that game, the only thing you know for sure is that the people playing that game, the guys who earn the carry, will take everything that exists on Earth. If you keep on playing that game forever, you can show mathematically that if each time the half who win take 20%, the half who lose, nothing happens, and then you keep on playing this way, at the end, the guys with the right to a carry just take the entire planet. So it, and, and we see it with this pandemic where you have some extreme winners, extreme losers, and the extreme winners turned out to be tech companies and the like. And these guys take, you know, 20% of a cake, sometimes more. They become extraordinarily rich. Again, uh, this morning, there was something about Oxfam saying, you know, how much uh, money uh, the richest people made during this pandemic. And so that's because, you know, there, there were tech people, tech related people, and they became much richer during this pandemic. And, and then the people were unlucky during this pandemic, maybe people in healthcare or a certain uh, fraction of the healthcare industry and others lost a lot. And that's it. Um, retailers lost a lot. So all the people that are like in private equity in retail lost money, but then, you know, they don't get anything back. And so they have to pay 20% to whichever sectors did well, don't get anything back from the sectors that do not do well. And so they just end up paying for sure fees to someone because if in the next cycle is the retailers doing well and the tech doing badly, then the tech is not going to give them their money back. And the retailers are going to say, hey, I need 20% because I revive this industry. So I'm a genius. So I'm, I deserve 20% of this. So it's, it, it, it's something that not many people complain about. It's a bit like the value bridge. And, and, and you and I have been pretty uh, annoyed with this, this idea that these asymmetric fee structures 
were seen as like completely cool and normal and natural by about if I was else. a pen- if if I was a pension fund, I would say I'm I'm very happy to pay for skill. But if there's if if part of the return has come from luck, that belongs to me. It's my money. So luck belongs to me. The problem is that we cannot disentangle very well, right? I, you look at the Dr. I, Martin's deal and then, say, and then you think, okay, that's, that's, that's skills. It looks very good. And then you can say like you just did, well, the previous deal didn't look so good. So what do we do now? So you cannot disentangle. So that's what makes it very hard. Sure. No, I, I, I understand that. And that's true in, in uh, many fields and it applies to public company compensation as well. But one way to address it is just to say, the absolute level of the fee structures at the moment just in just pays too much for that luck. So yep. if if you want to reflect the fact that so fee structures at the moment are paying for both skill and luck. We don't know how much the luck is, but it's not zero. Yeah. So one of the partial solution I had proposed, I wrote a paper about that, was to try to have first loss uh, type of fee structures whereby the fund manager would put uh, his or her money first. And if there is a loss, that's this money that goes out first, that is lost first. And then, and then if there is a gain, then they get a part of a gain. But at least if there is a down, then they have put a sizable amount of money and it's their money that goes out first, if there is some money missing. So that could help a little bit. Uh, but it is certainly something uh, non-trivial and the industry is certainly very far away from uh, thinking about any solutions along these lines uh, because they don't see a problem. So um, anything else you want to say about uh, Dr. Martins? I'm not going to ask you if you're going to buy the IPO. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, I, I think we've covered it. I look forward, I look forward to seeing you wearing your Dr. Martins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the price is too high apparently now, so... But thank you very much, uh, uh, Peter, for, for joining. And, 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 and if this was uh, Dr. Martin's Laid Bear, don't forget to subscribe. And congratulations on your acquisition of yet one more piece of knowledge. Ciao, ciao.